Welcome to I Hate It Here, the podcast for HR and people professionals, making the hardest job in the world just a little bit easier. I'm Hibi Youssef. There is no leverage point inside the business that impacts the employee experience more than the manager. If you have engagement data that shows that your people are not showing up motivated for work, and then you dig into it and you see it's an issue of role clarity or goals, as an HR leader, it's pretty easy for me to get conviction on advocating for something different. We have elevated management in people's heads as a a better, more successful path. And HR, I do think, has a big role in lifting up the individual contributor and celebrating them for the backbone of the organization that they are. Performance reviews feel like a logical extension of a pre-existing conversation. If we could create continuous feedback, real-time feedback, improve role clarity, and improve goal setting, we can solve this problem. The key to your business is success, your people. Get 15.5, the performance management platform that helps you improve employee engagement and performance. Visit 15.5.com slash demo to schedule a demo today. Discover the key to attracting, hiring, and retaining the best social marketers. Hootsuite's 2023 Social Media Career Report has juicy insights on pay equity, challenges, and mental health in the field. Just Google Hootsuite Career Report. Welcome back to another episode of the I Hated Here podcast, all about workplace cultures and how to make them better. I am pretty pumped about today's guest, Adam Weber. I joined him a few months ago on the HR Superstars podcast, and today he's joining me on mine, and this feels a little bit full circle. Adam, welcome. It's good to be here, Heba. So excited to join you today. I can't wait. I can't wait. I always get really excited before these. Anyone who listens to this is probably like, this is the most excitable woman. But I'm honestly like, I get so many cool people to come. It's fun. I just like that you consider me cool. I mean, I'm kind of getting to that spot where it's like, I'm kind of at the very, I'm at the the end of cool. This is the end for me. So I better, I, I need to bring it today. I know. Well, it's really funny because I always tell people I was never cool growing up. So like now in my adulthood, I've just let go of that. And I'm like, I'm cool now, even if I'm not. So it's always just a good time. Adam, tell everybody about who you are, what you do, your life passions. Well, I was a two-time co-founder, an entrepreneur, and I had an employee engagement company called Amplify that I sold to 15.5 a couple years ago. But we measured cultures, coached executives on how to build high-performance teams and I've really spent the last 10 years trying to move the industry of HR forward toward doing kind of the work of your dreams. And now I have the great fortune at 15.5, I'm the chief evangelist, and I get to try to help move the market toward a more strategic aspect of HR. I love that. Two-time founder, how did you, I forgot that you did that, how? I feel like after one time, I'd be like, I'm out. This is too too hard. Yeah, and debatable if I should have done that or not, because as I was sharing with you before we recorded, I was like, I mean, I just got really tired, you know, it really did. It does. Uh, it was a beautiful journey for me as far as like personal growth and getting to meet amazing people. And I fell in love with leadership. And I, I also really like burnt myself out to like a deep, deep level too. And so, you know, it's just, it was, it was definitely part of the trade-off, but, but I'm grateful for it and, and learned so much about myself during that experience too. I feel like that's what everyone says about burnout though. I burned myself out, but I learned so much. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Isn't that though, like that's part of like what is hard about life is like life doesn't happen meaningfully if it's always cushy, if it's always soft and gentle. It's like actually a lot of your growth comes from like the hard stuff you do when you stretch yourself or when you're pushed or challenged or hardship comes. And then it's like, you just learn. That's when you learn. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited to have you here today because you have that perspective of being a founder, being a leader, and also all the HR things that come with that and working in HR and being the HR leader as well. So when I joined you on your pod, we talked about the first 90 days as a people leader, which oftentimes just flash before our eyes before we actually do anything that we really want to do. Today, I want to continue the conversation around that, but focus more on what separates the good HR leaders from the great HR leaders. But before we get to that, something I like to ask every single guest who comes on the podcast, what are some of your HR hot takes? I have one, maybe two. Number one, I think that HR right now is terrible at offboarding employees, and they make employee departures far more awkward than they need to. Speaking to my soul right now, I have (laughs) never, everywhere I've worked, I've tried to fix a departures process, and it just, it never goes the way I want it to go, ever. And this will actually come up when I talk about like what separates the very best HR leaders from kind of everyone else. But it, to me, truly is the step before you get into the whole PIP or severance option path, right? There is a culture of activated managers who do continuous feedback, who before it ever gets to HR, they're empowered by HR to say things like, I'm not quite sure this job is a fit for you. Mm. And they, they actually manage people out in a way that helps that person maintain their dignity and helps them actually uncover something meaningful about their own career. So they're actually learning something about themselves in the process. You get a leave on positive terms and you don't have terrible glass door reviews because you shocked and surprised people. There's just, I really genuinely believe that we could make employee departures so much less awkward than they are. We need a whole episode on that because the amount of times I've told managers, you can just tell somebody, I don't think this is the right spot for you. And the manager just freaks freaks out. They're like, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm like, you can. It's actually more empathetic to tell somebody it's not going to work than to try to be lie about the fact that it could work here. I wish I didn't learn this the hard way, but like in leadership over the last, you know, 15 years, like I have waited before at the end and then told people at the end. It sucks. Like, it's not good. It's Whereas if I'm proactive about it and name it, it's like, wow, okay, hey, this hurts. This isn't great. But like, I understand. I have context and clarity on why. And and many times there are moments, I've had these beautiful moments where employees have been like, this is super clarifying for me on what I actually want to do. And I I recognize now that this isn't the right fit. And, And those are people I have great relationships with because I've I was a cheerleader for their career then, and then I get to remain in that same role for them, even after they leave our company. Same. I feel the same way. Okay, what's the second hot take? Okay, hot take. This one's actually going to, yeah, this is going to tie into our second one or into our our, like main topic, but it's this. I'm I'm trying to use bold language. It's like very like hard for me, but I'm just going to go for it. Um, Do it. HR gets blocked because they deserve to get blocked. Okay, that's kind of mean. (laughs) That just hit me in my soul. Okay. I feel bad. I feel bad saying it. I, I and I mean, if it came across harsher than it should have, we'll just edit it. Maybe you can put like a softening tone on the filter yeah. or something. It's very um, true. And this obviously is not always the case. There are so many. See, now I'm going into my all my disclaimers of like there are, yeah. there are all these executives that block for reasons they shouldn't. But there are some business fundamentals that many times HR leaders are assumptive about. They go off their gut feel and like, this is what is right. I believe in it. And they don't follow the great business fundamentals that every other executive inside the company has to follow to get things approved. And then they get frustrated because they know, and they're such good people, they know in their gut what is right. 
and they feel it, but then they don't do the other steps. And so they end up blocked. And then they're like frustrated at the company or they kind of blame the culture of the company, that sort of thing, which is what we're going to talk about because I genuinely believe this is a solvable problem. And I think that there are executives, right, HR leaders right now who are doing this and they're not blocked. And I want to help HR leaders, these the best people in the whole workforce, actually do the work that they dreamed of doing. And I feel like a lot of times you're right. When I have been blocked, I tend to blame the circumstances rather than ask myself, like, could it be something that I need to do differently? It's tough, though. I mean, it's OK. Let's let's get into it. OK, so you're like, uh, that was too hot. You went, you went too hot, Adam. Ease it back. <laughs> that no, I mean, I share a lot about how hard it is to work in this job and be in HR. And I share from like personal experiences. But I don't know if I've shared as much that maybe I am the cause of some of the reasons why I can't get things pushed across. And that's a really hard and vulnerable thing to do. Like, I don't like to admit failure, but like I have failed to get initiatives through because I didn't set them up properly. I didn't have the right data and I just felt like it was the right thing, but didn't have anything to actually prove it was the right thing. So we've all been there. I feel like a lot of people listening to this are going to be like, oh shit, this is going to be therapy today. Um, <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> okay, so you've talked to thousands of HR leaders, myself included. Tell me about some of the qualities you've observed that separate the good from the great. Almost everyone who gets into HR has aspirations of like helping transform the workforce, of doing something genuinely meaningful, of helping employees do the work of their lives, of challenging executives, of building these amazing aspirational cultures, getting some bold initiative approved. And there are a handful of them. I talk to them all the time on the podcast, just like you. And they're like, they're not getting blocked in the same way. And so I started to see patterns that that emerged of those kind of top leaders and what they were doing. And I wanted to kind of demystify it, make it really simple. How could everyone else kind of learn from those leaders and then not get blocked as much. Start to do that work of your dreams. So here, here they are. I'll rattle off five. I'll focus on two. Um, number one trait of the top 5% of HR leaders is that they speak the language of the business. Number two is they use metrics and data to back up their bold initiatives. Number three is they show courage when pitching their ideas and they fight for a yes or they have absolute context on why it's a no. Uh, number four is they activate their strategies through their managers. And number five is they gain buy-in across the entire company through great internal communication. So those are my five. Any any blink reactions? Um, I, first of all, agree with all of them. My personal favorite and the one that resonates the most with me is the show Courage. Because I, t I encounter a lot of HR leaders who tell me like, oh, harmony is one of my top strengths and I don't like conflict. And I always want to say, I don't think you should work in HR. There's a lot of conflict in this role because you have to have the courage to tell people like yes or no and then fight for what you think is right. And so I love that one personally. It's the one that resonated the most with me. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's spend a little time there. And I think that one for me, so where this was born out of, especially, you know, before I got into HR, I used to sell to HR and I would see this story just on repeat where an HR leader would would see a solution that would be meaningful to them and help transform the organization. They'd get really excited about it. They themselves were totally on board. They maybe even could get their whole HR team on board. They'd go in and have one executive meeting 
and get shut down and just walk out with their head kind of buried and just like sadness and just like, this is not a place I want to work. So showing courage to me, and it does kind of tie into the first two as well, but it's when you have conviction around an idea that when you go and pitch to executives, hopefully you're already on the executive team, but if you're not and you get a chance to be in that room, that when it is pitch time, you really, really go for it. And I think this is why this is hard is there's so many beautiful people in HR with these like really gentle souls. I mean, mm-hmm. just like me, I was having a hard time even saying the hot takes on a podcast that's for fun, right? I'm still just like, or, you know, um, <laughs> and, and if you kind of combine all the first three steps, right? It's like, if I speak the language of the business, so I know what the most important component of the business is right now, like the top three strategies of the business, I should be able to rattle off in my head. And whatever the company strategy is should be integrated into my HR strategy, right? So that's number one. So so my when I'm pitching in the executive room, it should feel like a logical extension of the company strategy. And number two is gone are the days of that gut feel component of like, this is really important. And I really want this. This is, this is right because it's right. And it's like, no, I agree with that. And I actually trust the intuition of like HR leaders, but realistically to get it approved, right? You, you need to build a case before you get into that room that is based in metrics and data. And typically, I usually say it should be tied to like a one of a couple outcomes. Are we driving performance? Are we improving engagement? And do we have metrics to back that up? Are we reducing regrettable turnover? So it's like, you know, somewhere in kind of one of those buckets. And maybe we've used the data that we have available to us to give us the courage and conviction. We need to kind of use the data to clarify. And then we get into pitch mode, right? It's like time to go in and we show courage. And what I mean by that is that... When we share the idea, we go, "Hey, I'll just I'll just role play this as if I'm I'm in the room with you and you're you're the CEO wait. and I'm, I'm the, the CEO. Oh, my yeah. dream job. Here we go. Okay, this is your dream job. I'm ready. And I'm like, Hibba, you know, one of the top company strategies right now is improving customer retention. And I've been thinking about how HR could play an influence in that. And I, in looking at our engagement data, we have a capacity issue on the CS team. And so I feel confident." that the right solution is insert solution. And then here's like, yeah, insert solution here. And then, and then um, here's a good way to wrap this too. I've also discussed this with the VP of CS and the CFO and they have, we're all generally aligned that this is the right direction. So that's like where I start. Right. But then here is, I think a thing just to kind of gain some, I just want, I want people to have more confidence that this is normal. It is normal in an executive room that the first response is always no. No. Yes. It's no. Yeah. It's, it's no. no. For me. Yeah. Okay. So see, you gave me the no. It's enough. It's enough for me. And to, and to me now, I go, all right, now we're having a real conversation, right? We were just all kind of doing the game of business. But once I hear a no, and it's something but I have data and conviction around, now we're actually going to have a real conversation. So um, that conversation is scary to a lot of people. It is, Hearing no is like terrifying. You like shut down almost instantly when someone says no to you. Right. And so how do we kind of take a breath and lean into it and go, okay, so if it's a no, then one is I want to make sure I communicate what we're choosing instead. What are we saying yes to if this is a no? And then maybe another would be just to kind of lay out the con, like un- or understand 
why it's a no for them. Like to genuinely understand their rationale. Like they just heard my rationale. I want to hear their rationale and I want to make sure their logic is as well thought out as mine. And if it's not, I'm going to go for it again. Well, that's what I was going to say. What if it isn't? Because I've been in the room with CEOs where they just say no and they cannot articulate why they are saying no. So then what do you do as an HR leader? You're like, I can't, how do I even rebut this if they can't even tell me why it's a no? So in the scenario where the CEO says no and they can't articulate it, right? There are limitations of role power. Like everybody, like you're not the CEO yourself. This is ultimately not your decision. What is in your control though is to make sure that you express both with the conviction that you have and the the logic to explain why you are confident this is a better decision, that you give them all the context, not just one time, but you actually genuinely give them the context and you share the consequences of this no too. And then if at that point, so you've maybe tried two or three times, you can accept a no if you know that you've done everything, you have given them all the context possible and then you can get into that, what I'd call like disagree and commit mode. Go, you know yeah. what? This isn't my jam. And honestly, for me, that's usually a good time to know when it's time to look for a new job too. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say if you get that twice, like one time stuff happens, especially if you don't, if you disagree fundamentally with the business context multiple times in a row, it's probably not a values fit for you. Uh, the other thing I recommend for HR people is like, I love reading, this is so corny of me, sales strategy books. Because a lot of what we're doing in HR is like selling our ideas and pitching them better. And so I found that like when I read a lot of sales books about how to close sales, that I got better at pitching my initiatives as an HR leader because it's like all about the buy-in. That might be part of why, you know, I was a VP of sales for a decade, but I love HR. Like HR is in my bones and maybe it's me kind of combining like the how I Uh, learn to convince people of things with my love of HR and kind of merging those two things together. I feel like a lot of times we have to be like master negotiators, influencers. We're like in the meeting trying to like catch everything that's going to happen, navigate in real time. And it can become really exhausting. But the the thing that I think is hard is uh, not shutting down when you get a no. Mm Because like you said, instantly the CEO, the first thing everyone usually says is no. In CFOs, I've genuinely never had a CFO who said yes the first time. Like, It'd be a bad CFO if they did. Right. And so I think just having that knowledge and awareness to go, I know I'm going to get a no uh, as my like first reaction, but I'm going to hang in there at least one more time and really have a meaningful conversation after I get my first no. It just it, it will go a long way for for people. Okay, so don't shut down after you get your first no and be ready to continue fighting at least two or three times afterwards, but come armed with the data. Yeah, exactly. And I will say too, this is also a good filter of like, is this a worthy initiative? Like if you actually don't feel like you can do this, it might be worth asking yourself, is this actually something I genuinely care about or did I get excited about it? Ready to lead your team to peak performance? 15.5's comprehensive performance management platform equips HR leaders with the tools they need to navigate the sometimes rugged terrain of performance management. From 360 performance reviews to robust goal setting and OKR tracking to ongoing manager-employee feedback tools like weekly one-on-ones and check-ins. With 15.5, you can ensure that employees are performing their best and your business is growing. Visit 15.5.com demo to schedule a demo today. 
Social media management is part of nearly every organization these days, but what do social marketers actually do? Understanding that is the key to attracting, hiring, and retaining a good one. Hootsuite's brand new 2023 social media career report is the key. Get the skinny on pay equity in the field and other essential insights about social marketers like responsibilities, challenges, pay, mental health, and more. Just Google Hootsuite career report. I would say like earlier in my career and in life, I was maybe more stubborn. Like if I thought something was the right thing to do, I was like, I will die on this hill. And I found myself dying on every single hill and then sabotaging all the relationships around me because I was so stubborn. And then the more and more senior I got, the more I became really comfortable with hearing a no, having it explained to me why, and then moving on from it. Mm-hmm. Like the disagree and commit took me a while to get there because I was like, no, but I, when I disagree, I'm so passionate about this. I can't let it go. And it kept me up at night and burned me out, honestly. Yeah, that I think you and I might have similar traits in that way. Now I know myself so well that I tell people in advance, like, uh, and we're like a remote company. If we ever all get together, I just tell them, hey, just so you know, when I get latched onto an idea, I will fiercely debate And I said, but also the very next day, I'm totally fine. So just so you all know, like I'm going to sell out to my side. But if I actually have the worst idea, I don't want to win, which I do think is important, you know, to remind yourself with like a business, it's not personal. Like when I'm in an executive room and I literally did this on my own executive team, I kept an empty chair that when things felt personal, we'd point to that chair and we'd go, we're all just trying to make the best decision for the business, right? And so let's Mm -hmm. debate on our merits and pick the idea that's actually the best for the business. It's not about me as an HR leader. It's not about you as a CFO. It's like, what actually propels the business toward the company strategy? What are some key metrics that HR people should always be thinking about as they're thinking about their initiatives? Do you have any top of mind, like your favorite two? The ones for me, I I obviously am a sucker for engagement metrics and like, And the reason why, though, is like it's they're very easy to act on, too. Um, They're provable. They're scientifically valid. You can gain a lot of meaningful context that you can act on. It's easy to get overwhelmed with data. But if you have engagement data that shows that your people are not showing up motivated for work and then you dig into it and you see it's an issue of role clarity or goals, they feel like they can't hit their goals. It's like as an HR leader, it's pretty easy for me to get conviction on advocating for something different. So I'd say that one. And then, I mean, I think company performance, right, is a pretty irrefutable metric to go, are we driving the performance and output of our people, which I think is a core responsibility of strategic HR. It's so interesting. Some days I'm just like, the vibes are off and I can't figure out why. And that's like where I really start being like, I need to dig into some data because I think HR people are very intuitive. And so a lot of us rely on our intuition for everything. But then like take that intuition and then go find the data that either supports or denies the thing that you're feeling. I wish I could just say the vibes are off. I feel like you're so spot on though. The vibes are off. HR people are right. Like the amount of times I have heard an HR person just like feel what an issue is, communicate it to me, and then time passes and the exact thing they said was going to happen happened. But because they never kind of translated it into the language of the business and backed it up with metrics, they weren't able to gain rapid alignment with executives to act on it. But yeah. they are right a lot. I mean, they really are right. And I, I do. And I think that is a superpower to trust your intuition. Just know that you're, that's not the, that is not final. 
final is also then vetting it with like business context and metrics. Were you a Game of Thrones fan by any chance? Oh, yeah. Okay, so you know how Arya Stark had her like list of people she was going to murder? Sorry, this is getting really dark. I don't have my list of people. I'm I, I don't know murder. where we're going, but I think we're headed in a very interesting direction. I mean, maybe. Okay, so she had her list of people who she's going to murder. I have my list of things that I know I'm going to be right about where I really want to say I told you so, but I don't because that's like not professional and that's not adult of me to say I told you so in a professional setting. But I literally keep a list of things that I will tell people about and either it happens or it doesn't. And it's just like my list that I keep a running running it's it's very bad i'm like 10 out of 10 right now i've been right about almost everything I've that's predicted. what i was gonna say how, how often are you right are you often are you 10. right most of the time yeah yeah i'm sh- and the hard part is sometimes when i know that this thing is happening but i can't figure out how to either stop it or get the alignment quick enough like you said to stop it from actually happening and so that i think is just what complicates it for hr leaders as well It's like, you know, it's going to happen. Now, how do you get ahead of it? I'm always trying to predict that next move. And sometimes I just can't get to it fast enough. Yeah. It's tough. But but it's tough, but it's also like you're like, you're spot on with how, how to be thinking about the organization. Like you're sitting there thinking of threats and risks and being proactive. You're trying to get ahead of it. What I don't want to communicate is to not trust people's intuitions, right? Like I think they're, it's like a superpower. It's just, it's like, how can I add on to this superpower? Yeah. With data which is yeah. also my, my love language. It's like a perfect combo. It's it's similar to like, uh, I think of like Mad Men and like back in the day, you'd be like, oh, it's for the brand. And you're like, no, it's like, that doesn't work anymore. Like you have to actually share, like in marketing, they have to share how the, the initiatives they put in place are going to generate revenue for the business. In sales, when they want a new uh, feature or a new, you know, it's like they have this power because they have this core metric of revenue. And in some ways, it's like um, HR does need to have metrics they believe in that when they pitch, they'll like stand behind. Um, yeah. And if, you, if you've ever heard a sales leader like go into an executive room and demand something to help them grow the revenue, they get after it. They really like commit to getting approved. And it's not just because they're salespeople. It's because they actually believe in what they're sharing that will actually help the business. It'll help that empty seat in the room kind of achieve the goals for the company. Yeah, I had someone earlier on the season talk about how you should ask your marketing team for their metrics and you should start to think about your people metrics as like a marketing leader would, a sales leader would, because it has very similar impacts on the business. And I just think we've been late to the game, but people analytics has been like a growing field in the last like 10 years. There's a lot of people doing really interesting things. Marketing is a great example because it was like sales was first marketing. What happened in marketing 20 years ago is what started happening in HR 10 years ago. It's very similar, like kind of natural evolution, though, from kind of feel to adding metrics and data and then merging the two as well. The evolution that we're having right now in HR excites me for the next 10 to 20 years. Hopefully I can make it that long and not burn out too many times. But I feel like we're moving in such a good direction as an industry where we are looked to now as like the strategic leaders in the room. And I think like more and more HR leaders are going to listen to this podcast, they're going to listen to your five traits, they're going to listen to your keynote, and they're going to start evolving all of us as well. Like we all have areas of improvement, myself included. And so it's just, it's interesting to see that. Yeah. And what we all can co-create if we kind of fundamentally shift what HR is, which I think is kind of we're in the midst of that right now, right? Is like, we're kind Mm -hmm. of in the midst of going, well, it used to be this one thing. And now it's like kind of an entirely different 
saying. And part of the challenge, I think, for many people is that they still have to do all the old aspects of HR. Then they're expected to do the new aspects, but they don't have larger staffs. They don't have larger budgets. So they can really end up in this like, I understand why so many HR leaders end up in a reactive posture because like the cards are really stacked against them oftentimes. I hate that for us, but we're going to stay optimistic because, you know, the future's bright. We have, you had five traits. The other one that really stood out for me of like the top people leaders was they activate through managers. I'm fascinated by this because I talk a lot about managers and sometimes I feel like I blame managers a lot for the problems we have in HR. And rightfully so, um, (laughs) because there is no leverage point inside the business that impacts the employee experience more than the manager. The hard truth of HR is that our tangible impact is maximized through the first 90 days. And then after that, the employee experience is largely based off that person's manager. And so in my view, the way that you can influence the business as a modern strategic HR leader is to create great collaborative relationships where managers are excellent, where managers actually live out the values and the dreams like we ourselves love to put things on our back and carry this heavy weight and try to be the hero. You know, I like have a, in the keynote I was just building, it's like a, there's a superhero, you know, it's like, we love being that superhero, but it's not realistic. It's not practical. Like we can't do this all alone on our own. So we have to change the fundamental dynamic of how we relate to managers. It can't be this authoritative top down, like just go do this thing and execute you actually have to make their life better. Show them how their life could be easier by giving continual feedback, by creating standards for one-on-ones, by setting clear goals and holding people accountable to their goals. A great example that happened to me when I back when I was in sales and I had an amazing HR leader and she taught me how to hire efficiently. Mm-hmm. And and to hire still hire for excellence but to hire efficiently. So the things that they brought to me made my life better, not slower, not extra. It needs to feel like, I think for a manager to get on board, it's gotta be like, oh, this actually makes my job better. I did a deep dive on the evolution of managers because I do tend to, I sympathize with them, but also tend to blame a lot of the problems we face in HR on them because they are the direct impact. But it's been interesting because in the industrial revolution, your managers were like, task oriented. They only monitored like what you were producing on in a factory. And then in the 80s, they evolved to be like managers and coaches. So they're like coaches and task people. And now we're in our era where it's they have tasks, they have to coach, and then they also kind of have to care about well-being, which is a third layer of intensity. And so when I look at the modern manager, I'm honestly like this job starts to feel impossible. And so like what what can HR leaders do to make the job less impossible for these managers so that they can actually activate them? I have a deep empathy for managers in the same way that I do for HR because a manager's situation, whereas at least for HR, you you oftentimes can get in the room and have that moment of courage. Yeah. Imagine being a manager, who a middle manager, who a company directive just comes from the top. You have no influence over it. You have to sit in Monday, a Monday morning meeting sharing this new company thing that impacts your employees that they all disagree with, that you disagree with. Yeah. And you're just like in the room being- Return to office. To, yeah. Yes. That's, that's Return like to the, office. Yeah. The data has been wild about like managers being caught in the middle. Uh, I mean, it's 
it's a hard job. And I think that uh, the HR really, the, the exceptional HR leaders come alongside, even in that situation, they lean into that awkward moment and they make sure that that manager is equipped with the business context, maybe has some predictable questions that might come up and some ways to answer. And just like, just to be supportive of those people because their success is your success. Like there is no success in HR that is detached from managers. It is all kind of together. And people always, I think, tend to default to like, let's just train the managers and we will, uh, that'll solve everything. And my thought on that is like, yeah, you can train them, but also what are you doing to like ease their workload as well? Like if they're managing 10 people and have a project that they're leading on, something's going to fall to the wayside and probably it's going to be coaching the people and having the hard conversations because the work is like what the business needs to get done. And so I've I've joked and I said I've loved I would love to work somewhere where I just get to manage. Where I don't have to do like any work. I just have to manage my team. Cuz that would be so fun. It, yeah, like, is that a job? Is that a <laughs> yeah. job? That's not that a job. It's <laughs> not a job. But then and then everyone like promotes people into being managers and that's the other thing I think a lot of people get wrong is like not everybody should be a manager. And like there's an intense responsibility that comes with it. And if as HR leaders, we can say like, this is the wrong move to promote this person, like they can be an IC, but they can't be a manager. I feel like we don't have that conversation enough either. We, we do not. And, and part of that is because we have elevated management in people's heads as a, a better, mm-hmm. more successful path. And HR, I do think, has a big role in lifting up the individual contributor and celebrating them for the backbone of the organization that they are. And so having people who can move up in their careers, move up in their salary, not feel like they have to leave, if they're top performing individual contributors, you should feel like that is both a viable and a needed, exciting path in your career in life. Not everyone should be a manager. I always ask people when they tell me like, I want to be a manager. I always ask why. And if the answer is like, well, I want to make more money. I'm like, you don't need to be a manager. You have no idea what's coming. Yeah, you can make a lot of money as an individual contributor, by the way, and enjoy your life. Like, yeah, yeah, just go enjoy your life and like be. I was thinking about this this morning, actually, this concept of like the top performing individual contributor that gets thrown into management and they have an amazing first 30 to 60 days because they're better at the job than everyone on their team. And so they can kind of like brute force everybody into success. And then there is this humbling moment that happens for these the top performing ICs that become managers as they go overwhelming stress, like, because there's nothing scalable about what they're doing. They're not actually managing people. They're just doing, instead of one person's job with excellence, they're doing like five people's job and they kind of hit a breaking point where they go, Oh, this isn't actually management. Like what I'm just doing other people's job for them. And so then moving into like, how do I coach people? How do I help them set their priorities? How do I trust them to fail? give them feedback. It's just like a very different job than what it means to be an individual contributor. I think after HR, being a manager at any company is the hardest job. Sorry, CEOs and CFOs. (laughs) I just think being a manager is so hard some days because you are, you're doing a lot and you're also, the context shifting required with managers is so high and people do not context shift well. Because you have to go from like, coach to I'm going to discipline this person to I need to communicate expectations better to I have to manage up to I have to manage down to I have to go be a peer to that other manager but get them to also do work and so I just think context shifting for managers is also high in any average day and it's hard to do all of that that's so true 
and then like all those things are happening and then there's like two roles to fill too. And you're mm-hmm. like, how do I think about like future people I need to hire when I'm just trying to hold on with my own team right now? And it's just yeah. like, there's so many things to juggle. So I love the thought of HR activating through managers. If someone was listening to this right now, which hopefully they are, why would we be recording? Yeah, obviously they're listening. Wow, I, just, I thought we were having a private conversation, you and I, now that this would be recorded. What could someone in HR do tomorrow to help activate their managers better? If you haven't created like a, a one-page guide of like what it means to be a manager at your organization, that's like a good free start. I'm obviously a big believer in manager development. This is actually why I might say part of being a manager is so hard is that we give executive CEOs, I'll have coaches, they have training that's available to them. Are we doing the same? Are we giving? Management is a learned skill. It is not an innate trait. I think one thing you could do is put a manager training program in place. It is not an end-all be-all, but you have to make sure that the foundations and skills are available to them so that they could succeed um, would probably be the other thing I'd say. I work a lot with managers that need help giving feedback. And so I always say like, if you are starting somewhere and there's obviously like the realm of management is wide and vast, but I think the place people most often struggle early in their career is giving the feedback. So if you as an HR leader can give them a framework to give feedback and help them think about how to do it, that I think is like an easy lift, but a big win because it has a massive impact. It has such a big impact. There's a podcast, the Manager Tools podcast. I don't know if it's, it's like, over a decade old. I think it's still out in the store though. And they have a an episode on how to give feedback. And like, I listened to that 15 years ago, 10 years ago. And like, it changed my career because I just was so worried about being nice yeah. that I ne- I wasn't honest and learning how to be honest. And, and what I started challenging myself to do is every single one-on-one, I always have one thing that I am asking that person to be working on. And I just, it was painful for me at first, but it was just a discipline and a rhythm. And what's neat is I actually think it extended the tenure of most of my employees because they really care about like, am I growing here? But my intentionality to think through like, but if they were to get better, what would I want to see in them? And asking myself that before every one-on-one really like, I, I think changed the kind of relationship I had. And, and it did really drive performance too for people. That's where I feel like a lot of managers get stuck. Even I get stuck. I'm like, I can't think of something critical to tell this person. And honestly, I think I'm going to I'm gonna try your making sure that there's one thing that I would want them to get better on each time. Because I feel like I also go, I skew the nice route where I'm like, this is going great. That goes all the way back to the hot take at the very beginning, right? It's like that is the actual path to make offboarding also. Because like none of us are going to work together our whole careers, right? And so just a foundation of honest relationships where it's like, Less about that I want you to work here forever and more about I want you to be the very best employee that you're capable of regardless of context. And because of that attitude, loyalty often happens and performance often happens. It's a discipline, but it's one that that I think pays dividends. I love it. We're going to have to do a second episode all about the so departures fun. thing. The departures thing is like really, it's really resonating with me right now. So we have to talk about that. Let's, just do, it. Let's just do it again. We'll do it again. Let's- second podcast on that because I feel like a lot of people struggle with it, myself included. So I want to get there. Um, I love to wrap up every episode with what's your one HR hill you will die on? This is just a funny one for me. I will tell you my HR hill is performance management needs a revolution. Not in terms of tools, but more in terms of how we actually do it because I'm not sure it's benefiting people the way we imagine it is. I mean, that's an awfully good one. That feels a lot like what I'm no, it's so good. I'm like, can I, no, can I just, can I just like plus one yours, like give it a like button? Um, 
here's why I want to plus one yours. I genuinely believe that the reason that the performance review process is so flawed is because the manager foundations are so flawed inside of organizations. If we could create continuous feedback, real-time feedback, improve role clarity, and improve goal setting, and we can do that in HR. We don't need other people. to. We can solve this problem that performance reviews feel like a logical extension of a pre-existing conversation. Where we hit roadblocks is when we're surprising people for no reason, and it feels unnecessarily hard and challenging and like too heavy and it just it feels like a solvable problem to me so you're telling me that your hill to die on also has to deal with activating your managers (laughs) (laughs) also both full circle at the beginning of the pod Um, i think we're kind of good at this i think we're kind of good at this i really hope you were serious about episode two about the departures because i really want to talk about that at some point um adam thank you so much for joining me today it's always a treat to talk to you i'm excited for this keynote that you're prepping for next year i can't wait to see it i can't wait to hear it it's going to be phenomenal uh tell all the listeners how they can get in touch with you if they're not already in touch with you well uh yeah the best way is to listen to the podcast the hr superstars podcast no surprise hib is hib is episode by the way is the most listened to podcast we've ever had because we talk about the first 90 days which is pretty cool um i don't even know if you know that but so i didn't wow um, yeah that and then if you go to linkedin and just type in adam weber i you know i i share a lot of my thoughts on the workforce and how to bring this new side of strategic hr to come to be and to exist in the world. So I'd love to connect with you there. I love that. We're all trying to solve that problem together. And it feels, you're one, you're a great follow, but two, I'm so glad that this work is being done because all of us want to just push the industry forward. And it's going to be awesome to see what happens in like the next 10 to 20 years, provided we're still doing this. We'll do a podcast then. (laughs) 20 year recap. We don't do this job anymore. (laughs) It could be so fun. Thank you so much, Adam. I appreciate you so much. Thanks, Eva. It was great. Thanks for tuning in. Keep up with all the latest HR resources by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And if you love I Hate It Here, tell an HR friend. I'll see you next time.